Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying that colt. And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed to this, uh, to programming down the hall at this time. And uh, we are so glad and excited that uh, the rest of you are here to worship with us today. Uh, quick check, how are your brackets? Oh, big moan, right? Big moan. Hey, thanks for taking a break from March Madness uh, to come here. We are in a current series, and we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as we lead up to the CIY meal on April 10th, we are actually going to uh, be doing our CIY series uh, in the next three weeks. Uh, so, uh, we'll have Luke share with us, we'll have Joel share with us, John Luzatter from CIY uh, himself will be here on April 10th to share with us as we lead into our CIY meal day. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pack that CIY series into the Mark series because a lot of the themes that our kids uh, went through last summer are in the last chapters of Mark and this will keep us in the book of Mark but do the CIY series uh, as well. And so I would like to welcome you to Mark Madness. Oh yeah, thank you. I'll be here all day. So today is chapter 11, chapter 11. And since chapter 8 at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself have been on a march to Jerusalem. For any Jewish person, for the disciples, for Jesus, Ju Jerusalem was the center. It was the center of culture. It was the center of religion. It was the center of e econ the economy. It was the center of the world if you were an Israelite. And Jesus, since chapter 8, has been identified as the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets would title him the king of the last time. And so Jesus is marching to Jerusalem, and finally he gets there, and he comes into Jerusalem for the first time as the Messiah, as the new king. We call it the triumphal entry. It's usually preached on Palm Sunday. Uh, we're just going through the book in order, and so we're not going to preach this on Palm Sunday. We'll preach the cross on Palm Sunday, but we're going to act like this is Palm Sunday today. And the closest thing to this inauguration that Jesus uh, has is probably our own inauguration, right? 
Every four years, we have this. We have a new president, and we have this black caravan of escalades with flags on the corners. There's police lights, and there's secret servicemen, although they're not much of a secret here. They're way out in the open, right? And this is, as he rides into Jerusalem, Jesus' inauguration. And so what is the escalade for Jesus? A cult is what the text said. Polos is the word. It can mean uh, a foal like a young horse, or it can mean a donkey. And we take it to mean a donkey because Matthew, if we jump over to his account, actually tells us flat out that it was a donkey. And so donkeys in scripture are animals that are not sacrificed. They're eaten only in emergencies. So if your plane goes down in the Andes Mountains, you know, you're okay. Uh, other than that, no. They, they are used for riding, they are used to carry burdens, and they're used for plowing and threshing. And the reason that I'm talking about the cult so much is that the cult takes up over half of this story. There's only 10 verses, and in seven of those 10 verses, we get information about this donkey. And so Jesus' inaugural event is taking place. And if we were able to interview him in the moment, what words would we get from Jesus? We, we don't get this. Well, here's my platform. Here's my guiding ethos. When I, when I become king, this is what I promise to get done. No, no, no. Here's what we hear from Jesus. Hey, guys, let's use a Volkswagen Beetle for the parade instead of an Escalade. I know where to find one. I got a guy, uh, James Peter. I want you to go get it. Uh, you'll find it in such and such a place, and the keys are under the mat. Now, what a strange thing that is, that Jesus orchestrates his own parade. But in these verses, there's a donkey that is tied up, and he says to his disciples, go get it, and here's where you're going to go, and here's how you're going to get it, here's what you're going to say. And Jesus spends all of this time talking about the means of his transport into Jerusalem, and it's a hint to us, the reader, that we need to pay attention and focus on this colt, this donkey, because we can learn a lot about Jesus. What do we know? about the colt, the donkey, from Mark's words. I'm going to give you several things today. First, we understand that this donkey is needed. It's needed. Here's verse 3. Jesus sends two disciples out to, to get the donkey, and he says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And so Jesus knows what every good Jewish person knows. The inauguration day of the king that is to come, sent by God, is on every good Jew's prayer list. The day that the king of the last time will come, who will establish peace among all of the nations. Everybody is praying for this day. And because they are aware that this day is sometime going to happen, they all knew a couple of things about this day. Uh, from Genesis chapter 49 and from Zechariah 9, they knew that when this king comes, he'll ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Here's Zechariah 
9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Up to this point in the book of Mark, do you remember Jesus or his disciples ever writing anything? No. They walked everywhere, right? Jesus is actually too poor to own a donkey. He does not have one, but he needs to honor Scripture. He needs to fulfill this prophecy to the letter. He needs to declare that he really is the king that God sent, the Messiah, and he needs to do it in the right way, and that means he needs a donkey in this moment. It's needed. Second. When you need something you don't have, you know what a great solution is? You go and borrow it, maybe, right? You go to your neighbor. Hey, I, I don't have a ladder. Could I borrow a ladder? That's what Jesus does. As they approach Jerusalem, Jesus instructs two disciples. He says, I want you to go ahead into a village just outside Jerusalem. And I, in that village, you're going to go to such and such street, and you're going to find a colt tied up that no one has ridden. And the disciples probably think, well, that's strange. How in the world does he know that? But by this time, they, they've seen lots of things, right? They're with Jesus, and so they don't question. And so he says, I want you to go find it. I want you to untie it, and I want you to bring it here. Now, donkeys back then were like cars today. It would be like Jesus saying to a couple of us, you know, uh, over on Main Street in front of the barbershop, there's a red F-150 with the keys in the ignition. I want you to hop in and I want you to bring it to me, right? The donkey is not Jesus's property. It's somebody else. It's borrowed. And it's not just any donkey. Mark tells us that it's a donkey that no one's ever ridden before. What does that sound like? That sounds like a brand new red F-150, right? That sounds like a car that just came home from the dealer. It still has the new car smell. And if you're an owner of that kind of car, nobody is borrowing your truck, right? Don't touch my truck, right? If you are a disciple, on the other hand, and you are sent off after this truck, wow, Something sounds off here. Am I about to get beaten up? Am I about to get arrested? It doesn't seem like anything can, good can come from this, but Jesus gives them further instructions. He says, if anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Here's what you say. Here's the magic phrase, the Lord needs it. And that phrase is like the keyless entry that you need. It's the password that will unlock everything. The Lord needs it. And so the disciples go, and here's the amazing thing. It happens exactly as Jesus said it would. They go into the village, they find a colt tied up at a door on the street, and they untie it, and just as you would expect, there's some people there, and they say, um, what you up to there untying that colt? And the disciples say, oh, it's time for the line that we practiced, right? The Lord needs it. And the people let, let them go with the colt. Now, there are all kinds of things that commentators say about this, about how Jesus pulls this off. 
On one end of the spectrum, on one extreme, there are a lot of commentators that will say, well, Jesus went into this village a couple weeks ahead of time without his disciples' knowledge, and he arranged all of the details of this story. At the other end of the spectrum, there are commentators who will say that Jesus had a special divine knowledge of the situation without ever having been there. Which is it? To be honest, I'm not really sure that it matters, but I will say this, that prearranging the transaction doesn't quite jive with the text. Because if Jesus had been there and arranged things, the the owners would have been expectant when the disciples showed up. Oh, you must be from Jesus. Okay, all right. I got, I got the rental paperwork right here somewhere. I just need you to sign. Are you sure you don't want the insurance? No, we're with Jesus. We don't need insurance, right? And that's missing. And so add to that, the disciples are, are also pretty shocked. Luke even says that everything happened just as Jesus said it would. And so there's a phrase that helps us, and it's the Lord needs it. That should help us, and it should also stop us in our tracks. It's what English teachers call an oxymoron. You know what oxymorons are, right? It's where you have two words that shouldn't go next to each other because they contradict each other. So jumbo shrimp, that's an oxymoron, right? Fresh frozen. Well, which is it? Is it fresh or is it frozen? Um, government finance. That's a good one. Or this, virtual reality. Think about that. Get back to me. It is, okay? The Lord needs it is like this. It's an oxymoron. How is it that the Lord who created everything and needs nothing now needs something? That's an oxymoron. Psalm 50 Verse 10 and 12 says this, for every animal of the forest is mine, that's what God says, and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. What does Jesus need? Nothing. He's Lord, and yet here in this moment, he needs it. He's the grand marshal of his own parade, and he doesn't even own a car that they can use for him to ride in. And so Jesus has so humbled himself as the Lord, as the human, that he doesn't own the donkey he needs. And so he is actually in need. Second Corinthians has this great verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The king of the last time who made all of the donkeys in the world now needs a donkey to fulfill his cosmic destiny, and he has to borrow one to do so. And look what he borrows. He borrows a donkey in verse 2. Mark says this, on which no one has ever sat. I'm pausing so that all of you can gasp together in shock. Let's try that again. On which no one has ever sat. Oh, wow, you did it. Wow, I, I didn't think you'd go along with that one, but thank you very much. 
This is an easy one to rush by if you aren't an equestrian. A couple decades ago at the church here, across the street, we had a ministry organization that put on a rodeo for our church, okay? And some of you may remember that. We went across the street, and uh, they brought all the horses, they brought the whole show, and they put on a rodeo for us, and they included us in some of the rodeo events. And so I was uh, getting ready for my event. Now, I do not claim to be a horseman, okay? But I have ridden before. Uh, Growing up, my aunt had horses. When we would visit her, I would ride. And so I've ridden before, but just enough to be dangerously overconfident, okay? And so I know that, so I'm trying not to be overconfident. And I'm directed to a horse that is resting by the gate uh, next to, to enter the arena. And I was told, get on that horse. And I say, cool, okay. Not my show. I'm just going to do what I'm told. So I get on, and as I get on this horse, I realize there are no reins. Now, I've ridden enough to know you kind of need reins, okay? And while I'm looking for reins, somebody opens the gate. And I think that this horse's girlfriend was in the arena because it took off through the gate like its girlfriend was in the arena, okay? And all of a sudden, I said I've ridden before, okay? But you need to understand that that kind of riding was gentle, calm, maybe the occasional trot, maybe, maybe a little bit of a gallop. That's about it. This day... I was racing. This was not that. In, in about two seconds, my horse riding experience got turned up to 11, and we were on a dead sprint, and I had no reins. I just have a death grip on the saddle horn, okay? And so I can now say that I have raced a horse, or maybe the horse raced me. I'm not really sure. Uh, it was not a long race. It was not a fun race but it was a race nonetheless. Now, all of that happened on a horse that was broken. You know what that word means? It was trained, right? All it would have taken were the reins, and my ferocious race would have turned into a pleasant walk, just just with reins. But this donkey in this text is not broken. It's unbroken. Now, saddle people in the room, what happens when you're the first person to sit on an animal that's never been sat on? Terms like bronc come to mind, and bull riding come to mind, and a donkey? Yeah. See, I'll tell you what happens when you're the first person to sit on an animal that's never been ridden. The clown for the rodeo goes off and changes his outfit and puts on the short pants because he knows that whoever is going to sit on that animal that's never been ridden is going to be on the ground. You are not going seven seconds. You're not going to hear the bell. You're not going to get the buckle, right? But look what happens in verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus... They threw their cloaks on it, 
and he sat on it. We should gasp now. Thank you. <laughs> There's no rodeo clown needed. There's no incident. There's no bucking. There's no running wild. How is that? The reason animals need to be broken is because our world is broken. Wind comes through and knocks houses over. Thorns ruin fields. And animals run wild and buck and kick. But here's what Scripture says, that when the true king comes back, it will be different. I want you to watch what happens in Isaiah. He tells us, about what happens when God's rule becomes reality. He says this is what, what it will be like. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus Christ, sitting on an unbroken donkey, gives us a picture of that. This little animal should kick it should buck, it should spin, but it doesn't. It immediately knows its master when he sits on its back. And the world is a broken place, but Jesus has come to restore it, to fix it all so that it never bucks, so that it never kicks again. And we get a taste of that in this text right here. What else? Verse 7 says, they threw their cloaks on this donkey. It's cloaked, or another way to put it is it's saddled. It has a saddle, right? Even though it's kind of a crude saddle, it's saddled. And there's a phrase that happens in the Old Testament quite frequently, and it's, it's a simple phrase. It just goes this way, saddled his donkey. That's the phrase. Probably the best example of this is in, a, in Genesis 22 when God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to go up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. And the text says that he got up early the next day, he saddled his donkey, and he set out. And it's one of those details that we don't pay much attention to. We're kind of like, well, yeah, of course he would saddle his donkey, like he was loading the car, you know? But Rabbi Daniel Lapin tells us that we shouldn't pass that phrase by so quickly. He writes about saddles and donkeys in the Old Testament, and he points out that the Hebrew word for donkey is also the same Hebrew word that is used for materialism. Hmm. And so donkeys sometimes in the Old Testament show up in really weird places, and now we know why. Because they represent the material body. And so when someone is said to have saddled a donkey, it means that they were suppressing, they were subjugating their material wants and desires. And so when Abraham went out that morning to saddle his donkey, he really did saddle the donkey, but it's a message to the reader that 
He's doing something that he does not want to do, but he knows that he has to do. To saddle your donkey is to discipline yourself to do the hard thing. Now, can we make that kind of leap from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Saddle your donkey doesn't mean the same thing in Mark chapter 11. I'm not 100% sure we can, but here's what I do know with 100% certainty, that riding into Jerusalem on a saddled donkey, in doing that, Jesus is choosing the hard thing. There's no throne waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem. There's only thorns. There's no crown at the end of the parade. There's only a cross. There's no end of the week where everybody applauds Jesus. There's only mocking and spitting and people shouting, crucify him. There's no triumph. There's only a tomb. And why did he choose the hard thing? For you. For you. For me. He gave up his life for yours. He saddled his donkey. This colt, this donkey is also deliberate. It's deliberate. Let me do this really quickly. In choosing a donkey to ride on, Jesus was deliberately communicating to everyone who saw a couple of things that were unmistakable. Number one, he's communicating that I am the promised king sent to take David's throne and sit on it forever. When he was anointed the king of Israel, Solomon did this same thing. He rode in on a donkey. He rode to his anointing place on a donkey, and it was a declaration of his kingship. It used to be that donkeys were the majestic steed that went with a crown. That got changed along the way. We watch movies now, and the king is riding a majestic stallion, right? White or black or something. It's awesome. It's a horse. But back then, it really was a donkey. And so, when Jesus rides in in the same way as Solomon, King David's son, he's saying, I'm the king, I'm the son of David, just as much, if not more, and much more than Solomon. Here's also what he's communicating that I'm the promised Messiah. There's a little phrase that the crowd used that day in verse 9 that tells us that they knew he was claiming to be the Messiah by riding in on a donkey. He's fulfilling Isaiah and he's fulfilling Genesis. He who comes is the phrase. And it was a euphemism for the Messiah. And then in verse 10, we note that there's a reference to our father, King David. And so what are the crowds acknowledging? That Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the heir to David's throne. Finally, and this is the best for us today, I want to go back up to verse 3, and I want you to catch this phrase. The Lord needs it, but we'll send it back here immediately. This donkey, it's returned. It's returned. People in Jesus' day were familiar with a concept called commandeering. So, Roman troops, 
and enemy occupying forces would, would do this to normal people. They would come in and they're in charge and uh, they could do whatever they wanted to do and so that's what they would do. They would commandeer. And so if you're just a poor pleb in the way, they might commandeer your time or your labor or your possessions. They, they see you and go, hey, I've got a battle pack here and it's weighing on my back. It's like 75 pounds and it, my back is killing me. So guess what you're going to do for the next mile or so? You're going to carry my pack for a while. Guess what you do? Wordle has to wait, right? You are lugging that pack for that Roman soldier and you're walking back to wherever you came from after you do. And people are used to this. Armies do this all the time. Kings do this all the time. Kings say, I am the king and I have the right to commandeer the property that I need for my purposes. When you are in power, you take what you want. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Yes, but Jesus is a new kind of king. He says this, the Lord needs it. I'm commandeering it. I'm using it. But I will send it back. Oh my goodness. That is absolutely new. That is absolutely revolutionary. A king who says, I have the right to anything I ask, but I will return whatever I ask for. I want you to think about the owner of that donkey. The king of the universe, the risen Lord Jesus, the Lord of life has ridden on the back of your donkey. If you were that owner, if I was that owner, when we got that donkey back, we would never let anyone else ride on it ever. We would never sell it. We would, why? Because we would get back infinitely more than we ever gave. And there it is. Jesus is coming to you today with those same words, the Lord needs it. The only question is what is he asking for? I don't know that answer. You do. I know it for me. The Lord needs it. What is he asking for? Is he asking for your time? Is he asking for your resources? Is he asking for your effort or your expertise or your devotion? Is he asking for your influence? Is he asking for your obedience? Is he asking for your worship? Whatever it is, here's my advice, and this is from the text, release it to him. The owner said, take the donkey, right? And they got back more than they ever knew. Here's the good news today. Whatever he asks for, whatever you give, he will return it. And some of us who have been following Jesus for a while know that this is true. We know that when you give Jesus your worship, you get back joy. We know that when you give Jesus your time, you get back purpose and meaning. We know that when you give him your obedience, you get back immeasurable peace. We know that when you give him your heart, you get back infinite love. We know that when you give him whatever he asks for, he gives it back 
a hundred times as much in this life and also in the life to come. That's his promise. As we end today, there's a word that Jesus heard over and over as he rode in on the back of a donkey that day. There were cloaks that were not just on the back of the donkey, but they were scattered along the ground so that the donkey would not touch the dirt. There were branches waving in the air. And these are the kinds of things that you do for royalty. This is rolling out the red carpet kind of treatment. And as they did, the people shouted as Jesus went by, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna isn't just a word, it's, it's a title. The word means save now, but when the people applied it to Jesus, it's a declaration that Jesus is the one who is able now to save us. He is our Savior, and they are acknowledging that He has the power to save. Later, at the end of the week, Jesus will go to a cross. He'll be put in a tomb. And three days later, he will walk out of it. And the resurrection means that Jesus alone has the power to save you from death. And so when they shout Hosanna at the beginning of the week here, they are speaking beyond their capacity to understand. But oh my, do they get saved in a much grander and greater way. Jesus is our Savior. He's our only Savior. And what He asks for from you today is to give Him your life. The Lord who saves Hosanna needs your life. The Lord needs it. Will you release it to Him today? Here's what I promise. When you do, you'll get infinitely more life returned to you than you have ever known. We're going to sing today. I'd like you to stand. And if you need to give your life today, you come and make that trade with Jesus.